The message you're about to listen to is a recording from God's favorite house. It is our prayer that you listen, your life will be transformed, and you will be taken to greater heights in your walk with Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you listen to this message. Amen. Help from above. Today we are in part two. Last week we looked at Anna. Um, we, it's a build up to next week's Sunday service. And I want to encourage you to get this CD last week and listen to it, even as we enter into the last stretch over and over again. And from Anna, we learned, I mean, a whole lot of things. Life-changing from a woman that rose above the pain of her life and triumphed in spite of all the challenges that she faced. And today, we are looking at Jehoash or Joash, for short. Jehoash was a king of Israel. His father didn't serve God. And God was upset. And his father passed on, and he came into um, authority, power, and you would think that a son will learn from his father's mistakes. But inadvertently, most sons just repeat their father's errors. I'm praying in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that you will not repeat your father's errors. Jehoash continued in the error of his father. However, when it dawned on him that his life was going to be at the mercy of the Syrian army, he sought help from above. Jehoash ran to the God of heaven. He ran to Elisha. And he sought help from above. And the lesson we want to learn from Jehoash today is, it's, it's, it's in Anna's case, Anna got the help. In Jehoash's case, Jehoash didn't quite get all that was available for him. He got some help, but he, he didn't quite get all that was available for him. And, and I'm praying again for you that you will get all that is available to you from heaven in Jesus' name. I'm praying that you will not get partial victory. I'm praying that you will get total victory in the mighty name of Jesus. So it's it, 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 it instructive to, to look at what happened to him and, and what's actually went wrong. How can we ensure, you know, because these things are written for our own examples, how can we ensure that we don't fall where Jehoash fell? We don't make, we didn't, we don't make this mistake Jehoash made. Our text is from 2 Kings chapter 13 and I'm going to read from verse 14 to 20. 2 Kings 13 from 14 to 20. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, When Elisha was in his last illness, King Jehoash of Israel visited him and wept over him 
My father, my father, I see the chariots and the chariots of Israel. He cried. Elisha told him, get a bow and some arrows. And the king did as he was told. Elisha told him, put your hand on the bow. And Elisha laid his own hands on the king's hands. Then he commanded, open that eastern window. And he opened it. Then he said, shoot. So he shot an arrow. And as he shot, Elisha proclaimed, this is the Lord's arrow, an arrow of victory over Syria, for you will completely conquer the Syrian at Afek. How will he conquer Syria? How much victory? Completely. That's the word. That's the prophetic word. Then he said, now pick up the other arrows and strike them against the ground. So the king picked them up and struck the ground three times. But the man of God was angry with him. You should have struck the ground five or six times, he exclaimed. Then you would have beaten Syria until it was entirely destroyed. Now you will be victorious only three times. Then Elisha died and was buried. You know, two things bothered me when I, every time I, I, I read this, even though I have, I mean, comfort from, from the Lord and, and answers to them, but, but you know, when I read the scripture, it bothers me. And the, and the first thing that bothers me in this scripture is, is the fact that Elisha, the man of God, was sick. It just didn't add up to me. In fact, it wasn't just sick. The scripture says that the illness is last illness, which means that the guy is falling sick. And that bothered me. You know, why, why, why should that be? I mean, it's, it's like, I mean, this guy was so anointed, so, so anointed that even when he died, his dead bones, bones, skeleton, the, the Moabites were in the habit of raiding Israel. In fact, the Israelites expected the raid every spring that they were going to come and take their crops. Every spring they expected. Long story short, some guy died. And because there was turmoil, the people threw the dead body away and ran away. And they threw the dead body mistakenly on Elisha's bones. Dead bones. And the dead resurrected and came back to life. Wow. Now, that was Elisha's dead bones. Raising the dead. And Elisha was sick. Unto death. I mean, that should bother you. <laughs> that bothered me. <laughs> I'm like, how? I can stay on this for an hour and we will not even start this teaching, but I need to go. Bottom line is this it is possible. I know some people will say, oh, that's the Old Testament. We are in the New Testament. <laughs> Listen, Elisha works in the reality of God more than, I don't want to say, 80% of New Testament Christians. In the reality of the power of the Holy Spirit. More than those of us that have a better covenant. So what are you saying? But again, our covenant is the answer. Why? Because we 
even though we don't walk in the fullness of our covenant, our covenant has made provision for us not at least to be at the mercy of illness. I'm not saying that it's impossible to get ill. I'm saying that Jesus took upon himself our infirmities. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was laid upon Jesus and by his wounds, by his stripes, we were healed. So, Isaiah, Elisha, Elijah, all those great guys, they could could look at Jesus in the, the future. And in fact, if you read the Isaiah's account, it says, it says, he talks about, we, about it in the, future, in the future tense. But if you read first the, the Peter's account, Peter talked about it in the past tense. By his stripes, we were healed. So what does that tell us? That, tell us, that tells us that we really don't have to bear it. We are carrying things we don't have to carry. This human body is frail. It's going to give way one day. Praise the name of the Lord. It's going to give way. It's not eternal. We are going to be given a new body. So this body is going to fall ill. It's going to have challenges. But Jesus has made provision for us to walk out of it. So that gave me some comfort. Everybody say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> However, I know experientially that when Jesus, okay, before I talk about experientially, from Scripture, when Jesus was walking on the face of the earth, Everyone that came to Jesus for healing was healed. There was not a single person, not one, that came to Jesus and Jesus said, you know what, you know, you, you, you have to just endure. This, this may be your cross, you know. You won't hear Jesus say that. Never. Even when they brought the dead. Will say. In fact, the, Jesus did not, every funeral that Jesus attended, became a celebration party. Why? Because the dead always rise to death. Don't rise to life. Don't invite Jesus to a funeral if you don't want. If you have an old woman that has died at the 120, mama has gone home and you are doing the burial, don't invite Jesus. Because mama may just get up. Every funeral Jesus attended, Jesus brought the people back to life. It was, I mean, you want to clap for Jesus. Awesome. You, you know, so, so I, I see that Jesus doesn't give excuses. He delivers. However, in my own experience, even though I, we have seen amazing miracles, believe me, happen, I've also seen people that go away not healed. Crushes me. Crushes me totally. Totally. I still don't know why. I still don't know why. But it's the truth. Praise the Lord. So, so as we press into this God is doing a service, I am trusting. That Jesus will heal every single person. Every single person. Every single one will be healed. I'm trusting that Jesus will 
physically walk amongst us and take away every infirmity in the mighty name of Jesus. Another thing, you know, in, in, line, in line of that, you see, that, that I've seen as far as healing is concerned, sometimes, you see, I say to God, why are some healing not instant? It's your power. Why are some healing not... Listen, don't get me wrong. I've seen instant healings that, that I, I jumped. Repeatedly. And I thank God for that. But I, I also know that some healings, God has done it. But why are they not instant? The scripture we read last week of Ezekiah, in 2 Kings 20. In verse 5, the word of God says, go back to Ezekiah. This is Isaiah. He has already told Ezekiah, put your house in order, you are going to die. Thus says the Lord, from the most authentic prophet on earth at the time. He says, go back to Ezekiah. God spoke to Isaiah. Go back to Ezekiah, the leader of my people. Tell him this is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor, David, says. I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. I will heal you. And in three days from now, you will get up out of your bed. And I say, God, why three days? I don't get it. I don't get it. This same God that spoke and the earth was formed. Let there be light. And there was light. With the blast of his nostrils, the Red Sea parted. This God that raised an exceeding great army from dry bones. Three days. And he is the one that said it himself. Sorry, I don't mean to be rude. And you, you are not ashamed of that, God. Three days to heal somebody that is healed, that is sick. What am I saying? There's a dimension of God we have to wrestle with. You see, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to raise or, or teach or, or disciple a church that don't know God, that just knows the acts of God, that don't, that don't know the ways of God. I, I, I don't want to pastor a church that, is, that just think that it's about miracles, you close your eyes, a miracle drops from heaven, and if it doesn't drop, you get a bad attitude to God. But miracles are going to rain here on Sunday. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, believe me. Why? Because God has told me a few things are going to happen on Sunday, and it's this season. I believe Sunday is going to be the climax. Praise the name of the Lord. And you see, and that is, the, that is the most important thing, the word of God. Anna had the word of God. Eli said, go. The Lord of heaven's Hermes has granted your request. Anna had the word and rejoiced. Even though it didn't happen immediately, it took nine months to manifest. Ezekiah, same thing. You are healed. It took three days, but Ezekiah was rejoicing, I'm sure. That's the first thing that bothered me. That bothers me. Or that bothered me when I read that story. Anyway, the second thing that bothered me when I read that story was that, you know, if you look at verse 19 to 20, it says, but the man of God was angry with him, with um, the king. You should have struck the ground five times or six times, he exclaimed. Then you would have beaten Aram. Aram is also Syria. Syria. Until it was entirely destroyed. Now 
you will be victorious only three times. Then, immediately, this next verse says, then Elisha died and was buried. And I'm like, the man couldn't even appeal. The king did have an opportunity to appeal. He, he, he didn't have an opportunity to say. Don't worry, the lights are acting funny. <laughs> but just stay with me. <clears throat> he didn't have an opportunity to say. Oh, man of God, I didn't understand that that was what you wanted. Let us rewind this whole process and let us just start again. I mean, I mean come on. I mean, after all, you are still here. The anointing is still here. And, you know, we can re recreate this thing, you know. Wow. There's what they call a window of response. I mean, you must have heard me talk about the window of response. In the spirit realm, there's a window of response. And because I don't want to believe that it was pride that made him not ask for um, a replay of the whole prophetic action. I don't want to believe that it was ignorance. A window of response. You know, when the word of God says things like, seek the Lord while he might be found. Sometimes we think that, oh, I can just do this and I will come back and serve God. You don't have your life in your hands. It's in God's hands. If God is calling you, respond. There's a window of response. So, so that also, I mean, make me shift on my seat. You know, whenever I read this passage of scripture, you know, I, I, I kind of chuckle that man, that is serious. So immediately, we, 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 um, can see here that even though you are going to get help from above, you have a part to play. I will say, I have a part to play. I have a part to play. Some windows, when they shut, they are shut. Some doors, listen, listen. Some doors, when they are shut, they are shut. I'm praying that you will enter the door that God is opening for you before it shuts. In the mighty name of Jesus. In verse 17, the word of God says, Elisha proclaimed, this is the Lord's arrow, the arrow of victory over Syria. You will, how? You will completely conquer the Syrians at Afek. You will completely conquer. That is God's will. That is God's prophetic word through the mouth of Elisha. You will completely destroy Syria. Fast forward to verse 19. You will have in Syria until it was entirely destroyed. But now, O king, not you, the king, you will be victorious only three times. Only three times. So, what, what you do determines how much of God's words come to pass in your life. What you do determines how much of God's word come to pass in your life. You know, in Hebrews, the word of God says that the, the word did not profit them because they did not mix it with faith. Faith is action. They did not do what they needed to do. 
They did not mix the world with faith. They did not move in the direction that God expects. So the world didn't profit them. I'm praying that the word of God to you will profit you in the mighty name of Jesus. So what happened between chapter uh, verse 17 and verse 19? In, in verse 17, God has said, you will completely, to the king, destroy Syria. In, 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 in verse 19, he said, you would have, but now you destroy, you only win three times. And after that, what happened? Verse 18, of course, <laughs> we tell us. Then he said, verse 18, now pick up the other arrows and strike them against the ground. So the king picked them up and what? And struck the ground three times and stopped. But the man of God was angry with him. He should have struck the ground. Five or six times, he exclaimed, then you would have beaten Syria until it was entirely destroyed. For many people, you see, it's not the devil that robs people in many cases of the fullness of what God has for them. It's laziness. In fact, laziness has destroyed more destinies than the devil. Many people will say, oh God, you see the devil did this, devil did that. the devil will say, oh God, you see, oh, they are lying against me. Oh. I don't even know that guy. I've never been to his house. Check the Bible. The whole Bible the devil only spoke to four people. Satan only spoke to four people. And every time, say to, oh, Satan told me this. Satan, where, where, where is he that he's telling you that? He's too busy in Iraq. He can't be in two places at a time. Many destinies have been lost to laziness than to opposition from the pit of hell. And unfortunately, the Christianity in this part of the world, we think everything is the devil. We think, you see, because I need to tell you this. Because unfortunately, a lot of setbacks that we are having is based, simply based on one word, laziness, period. Say I, Olufemi Munei, will fulfill my destiny. I will not lose out to laziness. In the name of Jesus. What's laziness? Laziness is when one of two things happen. Laziness is when you are resting, when you are not tired, you are lazy. You are not tired. Oh, pastor, I'm just relaxing. Back to hear me, you know. No, no, no. That means I'm just enjoying my life. Now, <laughs> you are not tired. Relaxation is for the tired. should be walking. One is one of two things. Laziness is either is when you are what? Relaxing when you are not tired. Or when you are relaxing before the job is done. When you take a, a, a break or a vacation before the job is done. A diligent person will give all it takes until the job is done. So, I mean, so, which is what, you can't, I can't, we can't really work together if you're lazy. I mean, I'll break your neck. 
I'm sorry. So what's the key here? The key here is simply if, if God told you to start, let God tell you to stop. That was the mistake of the king. God told him to start. Strike. If God told you to start, let God tell you to stop. God told you to strike. Strike. And keep what? Keep striking. The king was just sheer laziness. Struck three times and stopped. Just two more to go. And the victory will have been complete. Just two more to go. And stopped. It should be such that he was striking and striking and striking and striking. And Elisha had to say, oh, it's okay. Don't do it. He said, no. I will kill them. That's how it should be. That is how it should be. Elisha should say, stop, stop. He said, no, no, no. One more, man of God. One more, one more, one more. Pooh. That's how it should be. That's how it should be. And you can apply that in different areas. For instance, as a church, as a people, we are fasting. Fast! I can't come and kill myself. A lady said to her pastor, Pastor, after saying all the problems she has had, and pastor has told her to fast. Say, Pastor, uh, me, my own fast. I don't know what you are doing. No. My own fast is I break at 12 noon. And in between, I have to take Pepsi. <laughs> Come on. We are going to have daily vigils. We are going to strike. God has said, strike, and we're going to open fire tomorrow night. <laughs> President of the Lord. <laughs> and interestingly, it's five days. I'm not saying there's a connection, though. I've just said interestingly. <laughs> Some people will strike only three times. They say, okay, let me just come for I'll do Monday, I'll do Wednesday, then that Friday one. I will be there. When you pray, is it not for your own good? Is it not for the good of your children, even yet unborn? Does it make God holier? Does it make God richer? Say to your neighbor, strike. A striking see, should be such that we should see that, ah, it's like, praise God. God has told me to strike. Strike, I go. And you strike and strike. You see, and, and God honors those things. Praise the Lord. 2 Kings 13, 8, um, 14, he says, Then Elisha, now and this is just amazing because you, would th- you, you, could, you could see the pain of Elisha. You could see the pain of Elisha. It wasn't just angry because he's just an angry old man. You could see the pain of Elisha. Elisha was in his last illness. King Jehoash of Israel visited him and wept over him. Elisha was going to die. The king knew he was going to die. And the king came to Elisha and says, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horsemen thereof, I can see what you saw when your master was taken from you. That must have created an overwhelming emotion for Elisha. Because Elisha was going to leave the earth without passing on the anointing to anybody. The pain of every leader is to look back and you can't even see anyone. 
that is following you. Oh, yes, they are following you in suit and tie. But, but that, is, that, is, that is paying the price. That is cutting their teeth. They see what you do. They are not doing what you are doing. You don't want to sit back. You just release the blessing. You know, we are not in this world to suffer. It's the pain of every leader. The pain of every Paul is to look back and not see any Timothy. Elisha looked back at his life. The only son of the prophet that came so close, Gehazi, instead of collecting double portion of four quadruple portion of the anointing, he collected leprosy. And it's because, you see, if, 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 you, if you check Gehazi's life, there's no time to look at Gehazi. It's because Gehazi consistently we look at Elisha's decision-making process and we analyze it and say, well, that's not for me. Consistently until he got um, leprosy. Elisha had got into a point in his life that Everything he had was going to waste. There was no one. There was no one fit. You see, the fact that there's a need doesn't mean that God is going to be prodigal with it. Don't you understand? There was no one fit. And here came this king. And he said to him, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and the horses thereof. And Elisha must have said in his heart, finally, oh God, if I don't impact this on a prophet, at least I will impact it on the king. And Elisha assumed that everyone that wants the anointing will pay, will roll up their sleeves and pay the requisite price. Assumed that we, we, everyone will, will, will be able to tune into God and go beyond what your leader tells you to what God is saying. Even though your leader knows, listen, your leader won't tell you everything. It's part of the training. My <laughs> 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 didn't tell me everything, but I got it. And when I got it, he smiled and he told me, You got it. I got it. Elijah didn't tell Elisha everything. But Elisha got it. He says, oh, stay here. The Lord has sent me to give God. He says, for where? Where you are going? Oh, stay here. The Lord has sent me to joy to Jordan. For where? Go to Jordan. Oh, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Jordan. For where? Story, story. I am going. Elisha you see, part of the keys to getting the anointing is that you must be able to discern God's will and go beyond what you have been taught and told and connect to the spirit of the matter and withdraw what you need from God. So Elisha said to the king, strike. He didn't tell him many times. I mean, that was even a simple one. Very simple one. He didn't tell him how many times. But you see, the king, as it were, took a vessel for a single portion to go and collect a double portion anointing. I mean, he took a single portion vessel to go and collect a double portion anointing. The Elishas of this world will take a double portion vessel to go and collect a single portion of anointing and demand that the anointing be multiplied. That's the difference. I hope I'm not speaking over your head. 
Is, is it making sense? Good. Good. I like the response. You are getting it. Because this season, you will get help from above. In the mighty name of Jesus. So, don't take a single portion vessel to receive a double portion anointing. Ensure that your, your hunger, your thirst, your vessel is bigger than the anointing, so to, so to speak. Because it can't really be bigger because the anointing will always expand to fill and overflow. But don't bring a small cup when the anointing is already even big in this, in, by itself. Verse 15, 2 Kings 13, 15 says, Elisha told him, get a bowl and all that. And Elisha now put his hand, Elisha laid his own hand on the king's hands. I'm praying today that even before Sunday, Jesus will lay his own hands upon your own hands in the mighty name of Jesus that's where the victory lies. And he said, shoot, for you will completely conquer, you will completely crush Syria. And I'm saying to you, as you shoot, you will completely conquer Syria. In the name of Jesus, whatever Syria represents, you will completely conquer in the mighty name of Jesus. So God himself will put his hands on your hands. God himself. Why? Because who shoots the arrow determines three things. I will close from here. Your life, I'm praying. This truth is going to change your life. Just open your heart and receive the word of God. Totally. Who shoots the arrow? This means three things. So, Elisha, as the rep of God, was putting his hands on the man's hands. In other words, God was putting his hands on his hands and God will put his hands on your hands in the mighty name of Jesus. So, he that shoots the arrow determines at least three things. Number one, it determines how far the arrow will go. How far the arrow will go. And because the God of heaven is laying his hands on your hands, even right now, your arrows will reach their destination. In the mighty name of Jesus. Number one, number two. Who shoots the arrow determines the timing of the arrow. Determines the timing of the release of the arrow. Every archer will tell you, even a sniper, a properly trained sniper will tell you that timing is everything. An archer, someone that shoots the arrow, is the equivalent of a sniper of our own time. We tell you that timing is everything in getting your target. Timing. And this is what they do. They put um, a, a pen of chicken. They, they, they have chicken, about 20 chickens. They will put a, 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 a peg, pegs around them and, and put them in, like an, in an enclosure. And they will paint one of the chicken, maybe blue. The others will be white. And the sniper will stay at a kilometer away. And he will take his aim. That's how snipers are trained. You know how chicken moves? Have you seen chicken moving together? Trying to get one. Just 
one, the colored one, from about 20 chickens. And they say that they do that because chicken movement is similar to human movement. <laughs> and the way chickens move around is like it's the same way humans move around in the, in the markets and in the crowd. And the sniper must stay and be patient. I must watch the chicken, get the movement, get the movement, get the movement, get the movement. It's factoring a lot of things into play. Atmospheric condition, the direction of the wind, the speed of the wind, the velocity of the wind. So many things. And actually, particularly, because if you're shooting an arrow, the direction, the velocity of the wind. So if you want to go here, and the wind is coming here at three kilometers per hour, you shift your aim a little bit, so that when it's, your missile is airborne, the wind will bring it on target. Even bullets. At that distance. So the sniper relaxes, takes his aim, Follows the chicken, follows the chicken, follows the chicken, gets the pattern, gets the pattern, gets the pattern. While the chicken is there, just turning, he shoots because he knows by the time the bullet gets there, the chicken will get there. And he kills the chicken. That is how God is going to take out your enemies. In Jesus' name. (laughs) Oh, you like that. I know, I know, I know. Nigerians, we love that. (laughs) <laughs> but you see it's, it's the truth anyway it's the truth and it's important because some people need to be some enemies need to be sniped down not necessarily people they could be demons <sighs> and he that owes the bow regulates the timing of the release And God is saying, I am going to put my hands upon your hand that your timing will be accurate. You will not shoot too soon. Say amen. Come on. And you will not shoot too late. In the mighty name of Jesus. And of course, the third one, by inference, he shoots the arrow determines the accuracy. The accuracy of the shot. Some of us, we are here, the summary of your life has been shoot and miss. Shoot and miss. Beginning from today, by the time Sunday is over, your story will be shoot and hit in the mighty name of Jesus. Everything that is of, from heaven for you, that you have been missing the timing, missing the target, God is going to lay his hands upon your hands. And your shot will be accurate. Let's bow down our hearts. I want, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for two Two categories of people. The first category are, are, are people that are here. You are, you are saying, Pastor, I don't even know God. I want God to lay his hands upon my hands, but my hands are filled with blood. My hands are filthy. I want to come to Jesus, Pastor. Oh, I used to be born again and backsliding. Listen, enough of parambulating. God wants to take hold of your life. He wants to lay hands on you, hands on your hands. I want to pray with you first. I don't need you to come forward. Where you are seated, you are saying, Pastor, that is me. Pull up your hand now over your head. Quickly, God bless you. Put up your hand, pull up your hand. Well, well, that is me. I'm coming to Jesus. I'm coming. God bless you over there. Don't not on your head. Over your head. Just put it up. Put it up. God bless you. Put it up. 
God bless you over there. God bless you, my sister. God bless you, my brother. God bless you, my sister. God bless you, my brother over there. That is me. I want to come to Jesus. This hand is filthy. This hand is, is filled with filth. I, 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 I need God to cleanse it. I need God to cleanse me. I need God. I want to come back to God. I used to be with God. Oh, I have never given my life to Jesus. I want to come to Jesus. Put up that hand now. I want to pray with you quickly. Father, we pray for everyone that is surrender to you today. We pray that we even thank you first for drawing them unto yourself. No one can come to you except you draw them. Thank you for drawing them. We ask that you cleanse them totally. Change these hearts, Lord. Remove the heart of stone and put a heart of flesh. Put in everyone a new spirit, your willing spirit, your obedient spirit. Change this life. Cleanse them. And let your name be glorified. The rest of us, I want us to take this song. And if, if, if that's the second prayer, and, and, and if, you will, if you will, you could just um, do as the song says. Lord, put your hand in my hands, oh Lord, Lord, put your hands in my hands, oh Lord, Lord, put your hands in my hands, oh Oh, Lord, Talk to me. Talk to me. put your hand. 